If you'd like to do the Bible reading, uh, you're, you may feel like, oh, I'm already a week behind. No, you're just five chapters behind. Uh, it's been good, and uh, already this week, for my heart, uh, we've just been walking through the book of Mark one chapter at a time, and, and already there have been so many just important reminders. What I've liked about just doing one chapter is I can read it, I can read it slowly. I don't feel like I'm in a rush. I can dig in deep. And I can pray through it. I can even read it in multiple translations if I feel like it that morning. Uh, and just kind of walk through the text carefully. So if you'd like to join along, it's right here, 5 by 5 by 5 And we have several in the vestibule. And I will try to do my best to be reliable and just posting uh, a devotional thought each, uh, each day. Uh, it can be emailed to you, or you can tune in on the Framway page, and it's on there as well. So I hope that you're part of that and enjoying the reading and are encouraged in it. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, kick off our new series. It's called Kingdom Come. We're going to uh, take a, a good long look for several weeks at the book of Matthew. Uh, I love the book of Matthew. Uh, as, you, as you read through Mark, like Mark just cruises through things. And it's like in a few chapters, you're already seeing Jesus go um, quite involved in his ministry. Whereas in the first three chapters of the book of Matthew, we get his birth and we hear about John the Baptist. And then Jesus's ministry is just sort of getting started by chapter four. So by chapter four in in, uh, Mark's gospel, man, we're already got Jesus ministering, preaching the gospel. And already thinking about his death, it seems like, where Matthew is much more detailed. And so we're going to take a good long look at it, but this sermon series is going to be about us anticipating Jesus' kingdom. Uh, What we look at in the life of Jesus is, is that he brings the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, but that we also await the day that Jesus will come again and bring us a new heaven and a new earth and restore all things. And so this series is going to be looking at who does the kingdom come to and why? And what is this kingdom like? We're going to analyze that and look at it and hopefully uh, look at our own lives and say, are we embracing the kingdom and his king? Are we welcoming him into our lives? We're going to focus on chapter 3 because uh, if you were with us or follow along online, we covered chapters 1 and 2 uh, in detail uh, a couple of weeks ago, looking at the sort of Exodus connections to Matthew 1 and 2. And so I hope that... Uh, you memorized that sermon and really took it to heart and remember everything I said. And, uh, I'd like to start with prayer and just pray for one another, pray for uh, this study and uh, be encouraged in Christ. God, we love you so much and I thank you for today. Time together to be a church family, time together to be one. Uh, just to take a moment even, God, to pause and reflect on your goodness and your grace. And so we do that now. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent your son to rescue and save us from our sins and from death. And God, when we suffer and when we're filled with grief and sorrow, when we mourn, we know that your son mourns with us. That your son hears our cries and cares deeply for us. Lord, we are looking forward to in great anticipation of the arrival of your kingdom in its fullness and completion. God, we look forward to the day that we get to celebrate King Jesus as one people 
in a world that's been renewed and restored into its glory and pray uh, in, into a glory that will praise you and honor you with all that it is. So Lord, today, help us to have ears to hear. What are you saying to us? What is your spirit saying in our hearts right now? Lord, what convictions do we need to pay attention to? What sins do we need to rid ourselves of? What is it that you would have us to do and say today? Lord, we want to walk with you. We invite you to go with us and before us. Hold us together. We need you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there's a really great movie out. It's uh, Spider-Man, uh, and it's, what's the name of the new one? No Way Home. What was the one before it? Far far From Home, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's And then the one before that is what, Sam? The one before that? And then one before that? All right, and the one before that? There's a, there's a, you know, I think they figured out how to make a lot of money making Spider-Man movies. And so they just sort of keep coming up with names. But in all of those movies, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, in all of those movies, there's a phrase that is said to Spider-Man from either his Aunt May or his Uncle Ben. And that phrase is, with great power comes great responsibility. In all of those movies, that's the thread throughout all of them. And, and as I was studying uh, the Bible this week and trying to bring uh, just fresh eyes to the Matthew 3 story, I think that uh, one of the messages of Matthew 3 is that with great privilege comes great responsibility. When we look at the life and ministry of John the Baptist, John is Jesus' cousin, and John is uh, one who is calling people to repentance. He's, he is a, a prophet calling people to repent of their uh, sinful lives. And my question is, is, what is the sin that John is condemning in his ministry? And I'm just taking a stab at it, but there is this moment in John's sermon where he says, you all keep saying, I have Abraham as my father. And what I hear them saying, when they say, I have Abraham as my father, that doesn't sound very sinful, does it, right? But what I think they are saying is, is we are privileged. We are a part of God's promise. We are God's chosen and elect people. They are saying, we have Abraham as our father. If you were to go around bragging, you know, kids today, they brag, I got an iPhone 13, I got the PS5. If you wanted to brag in the ancient world, I mean, you would put on your, you know, PF flyers and you would say, I am Abraham's son. I have Abraham as my father. It was their way of distinguishing themselves as God's chosen and elect people. And what I think John's sermon is, is he says to them, yes, you are privileged to call Abraham your father, but with that privilege comes a great responsibility. You have found yourself comfortable with a position of privilege, and you have forgotten what it's all about. 
you have God as your father. You have Abraham as your father. God has chosen you and selected you. He has made you a special people, but you have forgotten to bear fruit of that relationship. And so John says to them, repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit showing that you know more than it's, it's just Abraham is your father. Bear fruit of what it means to have a life with God and a relationship with him. And so he brings down the hammer. John the Baptist, he preaches the way I wish I could preach. I mean, he, he brings the axe out, you know, and he said, you know what, this axe is for you guys. God's going to chop down the tree if you don't bear fruit worthy of repentance. He's going to look at you and he's going to chop it all the way down to its roots. We have to bear fruit worthy of repentance. If we don't display a relationship with God, if we're not bearing fruit from that relationship, if all that matters to you is your genealogy, that's not enough. Because God is going to start over new. God is interested in relationship. I, God is interested in worship. When I think about the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, Ruth, is she, can she say at the start of the story, can she say, I have Abraham as my father? No, she's Moabite, which means she is uh, not in the family line of Abraham, but God adopts her. The book of Ruth is God adopting Ruth as, her as his daughter, as a part of Abraham's family, to say that what God desires and seeks is a woman who worships him. So God, uh, he honors Naomi and he honors Ruth because Ruth says, I want the God of Naomi to be my God. He will be my God and I will worship him. So God brings her in. She bears fruit of a life with God. She honors God with her life. And so I see God continually looking at his people and saying, okay, you can say that I am privileged, but with it comes great responsibility. I am privileged, but it comes with great responsibility. When we think about that in our own life, we have a great deal of privileges. I think about just this morning. I was able to turn a faucet on, and I got cold drinking water, and I was able to drink it. Thank you, Barry, for taking care of the water. And that's a great privilege. Most of you all hopped into a vehicle, and you drove down a road, and you were able to come to church this morning. That is a great privilege and freedom. You had a hundred different churches to choose from, and you chose this one because you know how great the preaching is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The sermon's also about humility, and we'll get to that. I'm kidding around. But it is a privilege from my side of things. It is a privilege to have the role that I have to be your minister, to love you, serve you, walk with you in your life. It is a privilege. What other privileges do you have in your life? You know, we like our position of advantage, don't we? We like it a lot. You know, I, I don't want anyone to change my seat. I like my view. I don't like being humbled. I don't like having my life changed. When you have privilege, when you have advantages, you don't ever want it to be changed. And I think that that's what's happening in 
the book of Matthew in chapter 3 in John's sermon is, is he, has, he sees a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees who like their position of advantage. They're like the Green Bay Packers and the New England Patriots. And here's what I mean. The Patriots never get a bad call, and the Packers, well, they never get a bad call either. Can I get an amen on this one? Yes, right? And from their distinct viewing point, they like their relationship with the referees. Everything's working out really well for them. They like their position. And if we look at our status and our place in the world, we really like the advantages that we have. You know, the Bible story continues. And after John, John the Baptist is preaching a message that says, we all need to come back to God. And we need to repent and we need to not find ourselves just satisfied to be placed in a, a position of priv privilege and advantage, but we need to bear fruit of a life with God and trusting in him. And so then someone comes to John and says, I need you to baptize me. And I need you to baptize me because we need to fulfill what is righteous and good. And when John looks at him and he says to him, I don't think I should be the one baptizing you. I think you need to be baptizing me. And so Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And John's like, I don't understand. But Jesus says, okay, we, uh, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And that's a perplexing thing to me because how does this work? And Jesus isn't coming to be baptized because he's sinful. Jesus is coming to be baptized because he wants to show us of humility and kindness of what it means to embrace the message that John is preaching. Before John was preaching repentance of your position of privilege, he was preaching a message of repentance because the kingdom of heaven was drawing near. His message was a time is coming that will change the way in which the world has worked a time is coming in which the reign of God is breaking into the world. And you have a decision to make. Will you trust and believe that God is breaking in, that God is king, that God will reign? Will you embrace this message and be baptized? Or will you just be so satisfied with your life the way it is and the power and the privilege and advantages that you have, will you just embrace that? And Jesus comes to John and says, I believe in the kingdom of heaven. I want to be baptized in this. I want to be a part of this mission and movement. I think he responds to his sermon and says, I believe in it because Jesus' ministry after that is going to be in Matthew 4, 17. It's going to be what? That he preaches from that time on, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus believes in the mission and it becomes his life work. When Jesus enters into the baptism waters and he comes out of it, it says that we hear a voice with a dove descends and the spirit falls on Christ. And what we hear from heaven, when God enters into the water, just as God entered into the water in the book of Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant and the waters stop. And when God goes into the Jordan, the waters stop. Well, when God goes into the Jordan in Jesus Christ, the heavens part and a dove descends and the spirit falls on, God, on Jesus Christ. And he says, this is my son who I love and am well pleased. When the Spirit descends on Jesus and the voice of God declares Jesus to be the most privileged person of us all. 
He can say much more than the Jews that I have Abraham as my father. He can say, Jesus can say, I have God as my father. And it is with this privilege that Jesus lives a life of great uh, emptying and pouring out of service and love. Jesus doesn't use his position of privilege to serve himself. He uses this position of privilege to serve the world and lay down his life. So when I think about Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry and what he does with it, when he is filled and captivated with the message of hope and love and grace, that there is a life in the kingdom of God. I have to think about my own life, my own advantages, my own privilege, and I have to ask of myself, am I content to say that I am a child of God? I'll leave it at that. But with the privileges that each of us have, that if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we trust in him and we say God is our father, if we know our position of status, we all sing today that God is a good, good father. That is who he is. We have him as our father. The church is at its very worst that it's very worst when we're pleased with our status and our privilege and we leave it at that. There's a whole community of people who do not know the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a whole community of people who are unaware that Jesus died for them, that Jesus cares for them, that God's kingdom is breaking into the world, that they are rescued that they can be rescued from sin and death, that there can be hope for them. The church is at its worst when we are like the Packers and happy with our privileged state. When we don't want anything to change because we like the view that we have. People cry out all the time the injustice and the problems and the suffering. Who is it that responds to this message? When we look at Matthew and leading up to Matthew, when Herod hears the news that the Magi bring them, that there is a king and a savior that's coming into the world, what's Herod's response? He's going to kill anyone who threatens his power and privilege. If you want an example of how not to (laughs) respond, it's Herod, right? But how often in my own life do I find that I don't want my advantages and my privileges to be taken from me? Yet Herod, he views this as a threat and a direct affront to his rule and reign, and so he takes even human life to protect it. Well, Herod's the very worst example. But in my own life, my own life, I don't, I don't want my advantages to be taken from me. But it is the story of the gospel and it is the story of Jesus using his privileges and his advantages not to protect himself and protect his status, but to lay down his life and to rescue those who are broken and suffering and hurting. Who is it that best receives the kingdom of God? Is it those who are in positions of power and privilege or is it those who are suffering and are sad and are filled with grief? 
in the weeks to come, we will look at the people who respond to the gospel. And there are all sorts of issues going on. Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus, at the end, towards the end of the gospel in Matthew 23, he's going to talk to the Pharisees, and he's going to address the problem. And he's going to say right to their faces, you guys are all whitewashed tombs. You know, that's a really nice hallmark letter, right? Whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but we know the truth of what's going on inside of your heart. We know that you are dead on the inside. Jesus will rebuke them for being so satisfied with their privilege and taking none of the responsibility. One of the things I hope that I teach my children is that if you have, it's so that you can give. That if you are blessed, it's so that you can be a blessing. That if you have a privileged status, it's so that you can serve from it. But how quickly we turn those things. How quickly we think, oh, this is nice. I deserve this. I know I might be one of maybe two people that deal with that. But it's Jesus who shows us the path towards truth. That our status our privilege, the advantages, the gifts that we have, they are all to be used in the service and the glory of God in his kingdom. So that as God has blessed us, we would be a blessing. So that God has cared for us, we might care for others. So that God has given us compassion, we might have compassion for others. John's message. There was a group of people who responded to it. And it wasn't the powerful, but it was the poor. The kingdom of God comes to those who know that they need it the most. It comes to those who are suffering and hurting and know that there is no way forward. <laughs> there is no way out. There is no way to get through this unless God is coming and caring for me, unless I trust in God and know that he is faithful and good and, and trust in him. We all will face situations in our life. We will all face challenges and suffering and hurt. And the question before us, the challenges in front of us, will we trust in God and will we walk with Him? I've been thinking about this text and reading through it and praying through it. And, and it really sets the stage for what's to come. But in this moment, as we reflect on the ministry of John the Baptist and the beginning stages of Jesus' ministry. It's Jesus emptying out his privilege. It's using his status of power to care for and love us. When I reflect on it, I want to pray for my own self and for all of us that we would get a deep sense of where we're at as Christians walking together. Do I use my status for my own advantages or do I care for those who need it the most? When Jesus goes to the cross, he brings the kingdom. He's a king who empties himself and serves others and all along the way he's serving and loving. When I reflect and think about this, just one last piece. If I can 
remember where I wanted to land the plane. Good grief. It's remembering, remembering our privileges, but not feeling bad about it and filling ourselves with guilt. It's reminding ourselves that I am privileged to say that God is my Father. It's remembering and honoring that I am privileged to say that God is my Father, and then it, I am obliged, I'm obliged to say to those who are hurting. I'm obliged to say to those who need to hear it, God loves them and has rescued them and cared for them. God is coming, that God laid his life down for them, that God cares deeply for everyone. I am privileged to say God is my Father. I'm obliged to tell people of his love. And if a church would get a hold of that, if a church would be willing to change their seats and move around, if a church would be willing to open its heart to its community, it would honor the privilege that they have, and it would take responsibility for the people around them. Let's love God and love our neighbor. Let's love God and love the community that God's placed us. Let's love God for loving us and share it with others. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for today. Thank you for time together, hearing of John's message that we probably still need to hear today of a call to a relationship with you to bear fruit worthy of a life that has turned back to you and God as we start the new year and we think about the new things we want to do and the new habits that we want to develop or attitudes that we want to have within us we pray God that you would that you would really get rid of all of the things that seem to block us from hearing from you and walking closely with you. We know that you are seeking us and that you love us. We know that your kingdom has been made available to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask, God, that today you would help us to hear from you, that you would minister to our hearts and our souls. Lord, that you would renew our strength God, help us to know that in our privilege and the advantages that we have, Lord, that we would see opportunities to bless and encourage and love a world that so desperately needs you. Lord, we repent of times of feeling pretty happy and content and complacent with our relationship and being neglectful of the rela other's relationship with you. Help us to be a beacon of light and encouragement as you shine in us. May your spirit shine bright in our lives together. Lord, lead us to you. Be with those who are hurting and suffering. Be with those who so desperately need you. And help us bring the good news to them. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in response?